I will not ask you to raise your hand if you've ever said, in hindsight, I should not have done this. Or, because I get every hand raised, including mine. Or, in hindsight, I should have done this. And I know we talk about hindsight as being always 20-20, right? Hindsight is the ability of seeing things after the event has taken place. It is the opposite of foresight. Foresight is the ability to see things and anticipate things before they happen. <laughs> if you anything like me, we are all good at hindsight. We really are. Uh, someone was describing his friend, and he said, you know, he can only predict things after they happen. <laughs> I'm not big on regrets. That is, staying in regrets. I have learned through the years, through the Word of God and many of those who have poured into my life, that when I fail miserably, I turn back to the Lord immediately and confess and repent and place my sin under the blood of Jesus or whatever failure it may be. But I know that's not how everybody thinks or operates. Uh, Many people just absolutely beat themselves with guilt constantly, beat themselves over their failures, beat themselves after every failure, constantly beating themselves, beating themselves, beating themselves. I shouldn't have done this. I should have done that. I shouldn't have listened to him. I should have prayed about this issue a little bit more and waited on God, and I should have done it. I should have done Well, in my own life, when I do not take time and pray, Praying includes listening to the Lord. And then, once I hear, obey the voice of the Lord. If I don't take time to do that, every time, not just some of the times, every time I fail big time. I blow it. Every time. Well, there are two ways of dealing with failure. So you can beat yourself up and keep at it, (laughs) or there is another way. I believe there is a better way of dealing with past failure. And I believe with all my heart, it is not only a better way, it is the biblical way, it is the godly way, it is the positive way, it is the healthy way, and is found in the second half of Psalm 37. Turn to it with me, please. In the last message, we dealt with the first half of Psalm 37, and then I said I will completed in the following, which is today. Here in Psalm 37, we are seeing the old, wise King David giving us some very wise advice. And we do extremely well to listen and adhere to how the Holy Spirit inspired this man who has lived through a whole lot of stuff in his life and came through the other end to tell us about it. And I began by telling you in the last message, the first half, do not fret, but look up. The second half here in Psalm 37, the same wise man, David, is continuing. He is saying, learn from me and from my experience. Learn from the benefits of hindsight. Learn from my past failures and pain. Learn from my past sin and the suffering that came as a consequence of that sin. 
learn the consequences of those painful experiences that I have been through and don't repeat them. In fact, learn from me regarding the futility of worry and anxiety and wanting to jump the gun and do things that are not consistent with the will of God for your life. And here's actually David saying more than that. He is saying to us, learn from this benefit of a long and painful life, of a life that's seen the ups and has seen the downs, a life that have experienced the glory of God and at the same time, other times, experiencing the dumps. Again, in the last message, I had four reasons why we should not fret but look up. Today, I'm going to give you three. First, in hindsight, I know now that God never, 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 never forsake His faithful ones. That's in verses 23 to 26. Secondly, he said, in hindsight, I know that God ultimately blesses His faithful ones. Verses 27 to 34. Finally, thirdly, in hindsight, God truly is honored when you and I trust Him fully and completely. And you find that from verse 35 to 40. First, in hindsight, I now know, now that I've got a long life behind me, now I look back at my life, I now know, in hindsight, that God never, never, never forsake His faithful ones. David reflects on the faithfulness of God through the years, and he reflects on that faithfulness of God, and he sees the heavenly Father is much more and much greater than an earthly father. But if you think in terms of an earthly father, in their relationship with their children, these earthly fathers can never change the fact that their children are their children, <laughs> no matter what they do. The family name, the family genes, and the family blood, that can never be changed, regardless of what the child does. Even if the child disgraces the family name, they can never cease to be the father's child in a far greater way for all the faithful brothers and sisters of Jesus. We have the Heavenly Father's name. We have the Heavenly Father's genes. We have the Heavenly Father's blood. And to be sure, our Heavenly Father may discipline us, and He does. He may convict us, and He does. And He may rebuke us, and He does. But He never rejects us. But even more than this, more than this, look at verse 23. The steps of the faithful child of God are ordered by the Lord. Though along the way, as he takes steps, he may fall. But when he falls and splatter all over the place, God never says, well, on your own, buddy. But God says he will never be forsaken. Why? Because he said, the Lord upholds him with his own hand. That is the promise of God. You see, it's saying that the heavenly Father never throws out his son or his daughter out of the house. And never throw his son or daughter out of his abode. Why? Because the Lord is carrying you. 
whether you know it or not, and whether you feel it or not. Question, how does this work in the life of believers today? How does it work in your life and in my life? Let me tell you the obvious first, then I come to answer the question. Do you remember when you became a new believer in Jesus, when you came to Christ and experienced His salvation, and you experienced His forgiveness, all of a sudden your spiritual eyes are seeing this incredible love of God who died on that cross for you and shed His blood for you? Remember how excited you were and how on cloud nine you were? Remember how so much in love with the Lord you were? You want to do anything for the Lord. You don't want to do anything that will offend Him, and how you cannot wait to wake up in the morning to tell everyone about the forgiveness of your sins and the joy of receiving that forgiveness. You remember how you were studying the Word of God, you're devouring the Word of God, and you're learning from the Word of God every day, how you're seeking God's will in your life in every step, and how you prayed before you make any decision, and you sought God, and God guided you. Well, the spiritual growth in all of our lives, mirrors the physical growth. So when you become a believer in Jesus, you basically have become a spiritual toddler. Now, there may be spiritual toddlers here, and that's fine. We all go through the stages. If you watched little toddlers, how they excited and how they're delighted in pleasing of the parents. Look at me, Daddy. Look at me, Mommy. And they kind of really get a joy and a delight out of the parents' love and the parents' approval. It's just a special relationship with the little toddler. And it's the same thing in the spiritual realm. And God seemed to respond to the toddler in a different way than He does to the mature Christian. Oh, Lord. Then followed by the adolescent years. Now, let me tell you something. I'm one of those dudes that never forget his adolescent years. There were a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of stuff. I don't forget it. That's why I'm always sympathetic with our young people. And in the spiritual realm, it's the same thing. You go from being a toddler to being adolescent. (laughs) What do you do in adolescent years? You think that you know everything. As we grow in the faith, as we grow in the knowledge and grow in our love for Jesus, and you come to a point where you become so used to, as a spiritual toddler of the Lord, answering your prayers, doing things, that, and so you come into that stage where you read the Scripture, you know, you think you know everything about the Christian faith, and you're about to make a decision, you make a, a very important, crucial decision, and you give God 24 hours to respond. He doesn't respond in the same way when you're a brand-new Christian. Now, I don't know why, and I thought about this long and hard, just like David. I've looked back in my life, and why does God not respond in the same way to a mature Christian as He does to a baby Christian? And I could think of various uh, reasons. Um, Maybe because He wants to teach us to wait on Him. He maybe uh, wants us to learn patience. Maybe because He wants us to learn to trust Him. I don't know. I don't know. All you know is that you're not hearing God, and you're not seeing Him answer prayer the way you used to. So you get impatient, and you weigh your options, and you make your choice, you make a decision, and in the making of that decision, you fall and fail all over the place. I mean, you're splattered all over the floor. 
I've been there. And when you're down, you hear myriads of voices. You may want to blame God for your failure. That's a very popular one among evangelicals. Or you want to be angry with yourself for that failure and for being impatient. You may become discouraged and despondent. And at that point, there is a huge temptation comes from the devil, comes from the enemy of your soul. Huge temptation. And the enemy begins to say to you, look, since you're down, stay down. It's a lot easier to be down. Uh, It's more comfortable down here. Now, see how you blew it? (laughs) You'll never be able to have the same relationship with the Lord again like you once had. And his miserable voice keeps coming in and said, no amount of repentance now is going to restore that relationship or be used in the work of God. You will never be an example and a role model now that you have failed. Meanwhile, whether you are actually hearing him or not, the Lord is saying to you, I've got you in my hands. I've got you in my arms. I'm upholding you with my own arms. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I want to strengthen you. I want to teach you some very important lessons, some life lessons. You're mine, and nothing and no one can change that. I could never disown you. Repent. Seek my forgiveness, and I'll give it to you. This wise old man, David, is saying, the steps of the godly woman or the godly man are ordered by the Lord. Though he falls, though she falls, he will never cast you out. Why? Uh, Because the Lord himself, not any amount of good effort on your part, but the Lord himself, he's upholding you with his own hands. As if David is saying to every one of us, listen carefully, please. I have been through a lot in my lifetime. I foolishly and occasionally I thought that the Lord would not save me, but He did. Or maybe He felt at times, and you see it elsewhere here, and the Lord was saying to me, I've had enough of you, David. I've had enough of your failures. You're on your own, buddy. But instead, David realizes that this is not true. It is not true, because all of these years, I have never seen the faithful ones forsaken by the Lord, and I have never seen His children homeless on the streets fending for themselves. It's a use of translation, but trust me, it's accurate. God is not only faithful to His own faithful ones, but He is faithful to their descendants. To their descendants. You remember the widow of the faithful man of God who went to the prophet Elisha, 2 Kings chapter 4. Here's what a lot of people miss. They think of the miracle, and they think of all the encounter, and Elisha, and all of this, and it's all wonderful. But there was a one sentence there. When this widow comes to the prophet Elisha, She starts by saying, you know, 
that my late husband was faithful man of God. See, that's the key here. You know, Elisha, that my husband was a faithful man. But now, I'm a widow. I'm up to my eyeballs in debt. And the debt collectors beating on my door, they are threatening to take my boys into debtor's prison. They're going to take them into slavery. And you know what the Lord did for her. Elisha asked her, what do you have in your house? He always starts with what you have in your house. What do you have in your life? What do you have? Bottom line is, God gave her an oil factory. (laughs) An oil factory out of a drop of oil. And she paid all her debts. And she lived for the rest of her life. And her sons. God is always not only faithful to His faithful ones, but to their descendants. Beloved, if you have never risked anything in faith, in absolute trust in the promise of God, before you see the evidence, you're missing out on incredible blessings in life. Blessings I can't explain in words. Oh, dear God, when I read how less than 3% of believers tithe to the Lord, I want to cry. What kind of faith is this? And we pray for revival, we pray for this, we pray for that, and His people are not faithful to Him. Just in case you feel bad, I was ordained to the ministry and was not faithful with my tithe. And the Lord had to teach me that very, very important lesson. Long story. But I remember back in 1979... We're living in Atlanta, and my income at that time was just about, or maybe slightly above, poverty level. But because that came after God taught me the lesson of faithfulness with His money, it's not mine anyway, we were tithing. And I remember this sweet lady who I was introduced to to help us with our taxes, and she looked at me and she said, how can you tithe when you've got three children and they've got their future and future education and everything else that's coming on? I remember looking her in the eye and I said, that's because you have never experienced the Lord stretches a dollar all around the house. Beloved, we can pray all we want for, for our nation. We can pray for this. We'll pray for that and pray. Let's look at the, what's happening in our country and what's happening in our culture, and we get all until God's people get right with God, until they begin to exercise faith, until they begin to trust in the promises of God. Today, the truth is, I don't believe in the tithe anymore. Tithe is for beginners. But as God blesses, tithe is the minimum. Someone here may be sitting here or even watching around the world and says, well, Michael, to be truthful, I just don't feel blessed right now. I understand. I really do. There are times in my life when I don't feel blessed. But feeling has nothing to do with it (laughs) because feelings are fleeting. Feelings are dependent on the circumstances. Feelings are never reliable indication of facts. 
the times when I don't feel blessed are the times I look back and realize that they were the times of my greatest blessing. David knew it is so easy to fall in the temptation of misinterpreting and misjudging the blessings of God. David knew that all of us, without exception, including your pastor, prone to fall in the temptation of thinking that we know what is good for us. David knows that all of us are vulnerable, including your pastor, to the thought that we know better than God of what we really need and what we should have. Look at verse 27. Depart from evil and do good. What is that evil he's talking about? It's the evil of falsely accusing God of not loving you. It's the evil of falsely accusing God when He doesn't give you what you want or you think you want that He doesn't care. The evil of hardening your heart toward the Lord because you didn't get what you want It's the evil of anger toward God. It's the evil of coldness toward God. I remember one time many, many years ago, a lady came and she said, Will you pray for me? I have this cold love toward God. I never heard that term before, but since then I understand it. Depart from it. Depart from now. Depart from it today, this moment, as you're hearing the Word of God preach. Why? Verse 28, God does not forsake His godly ones because God promised His own favor on His godly ones, because God promised that He is faithful to His faithful ones, and they will inherit the earth. In the New Testament, I can tell you, it's a new earth, a new heaven. Whenever I share a testimony with you, I share it only for the glory of God and sometimes to my shame, but that's okay as long as God gets the glory. I fell in the temptation, not only of turning my back on the call of God on my life, but then when God protected me from that miserable failure, I got angry with God. I was about 18 years old. I knew since very early days of my life what God's call in my life is. But I decided that I don't want that. And so I enrolled in the Air Force Academy knowing full will that I'm running away from his plan for my life. Back then, where I was in Egypt, basically, it's the elite thing, and if you get anything near 1%, normally less than 1% of those freshman year are Christians. It's reserved for the majority. Less than 1%. So I want you to imagine with me how I felt when I got accepted. (laughs) I got accepted. I said, whoa, I got away with it. I got away with it. God must have plan B. If I don't like His plan for my life, you know, could God like the kind of kind grandfather, which I am now one, and I understand it. You know, when the kid trying to do something you don't want him to do, and he's, okay, I can get away with it. That's why God is not our grandfather. He's our father. And I thought, well, God just gave up, and he said, okay, he wants that, I'll let him have it. I got accepted, after all, and I wildly celebrated for a little while. Then I discovered that of the several thousand letters registered in the post office letters that were sent out to all these few thousand people who've been accepted, one letter was lost in the mail. 
that was mine. And when that happened, I became angry with God. As if running away from His call on my life was not enough. Now I got angry with Him for protecting me from certain death. Beloved, I can tell you now, this was the height of foolishness. I pray that none of you are in that situation. Here I am, nearly 50 years later. I thank God every single day that He did not answer that prayer. Every single day. In hindsight, David is saying, God never forsake His faithful ones. In hindsight, God always blesses His faithful ones. Thirdly, in hindsight, I know that God is honored by our trust of Him. You know, I hear people all the time say, we want to honor the Lord. We want to honor the Lord. Listen to me. The greatest honor that you can bestow upon the Lord is you fully trusting Him, trusting His timing, trusting His timing. Can you say that with me? Trusting That's always a hard one. Even when He allows inexplicable things that happen in your life, be patient and trust that God has your best interest at heart, (laughs) even when you see the wicked prospering, even when you see evil succeeding, even when you see falsehood is rampant, even when you see immorality is praised in public, even when you see deceitful people becoming famous, even when you see the wicked grabbing the headline and the headline news, even when you see the corrupt and the greedy seem to be getting away with it. Even so, you trust Him. You trust Him. Don't be tempted because that is not the last word. That's not God's last word. His last word is coming. Now in a million knows. You know, I always love Psalm 1 because it's full of very beautiful imagery, and until you kind of been to Israel and, and see this, uh, the tree that is planted, talking about the righteous, the faithful. It's like a tree that's planted where the water's running, right at the edge of the water. And why is that good? Because not only getting water, but getting nutrients. Soil is bringing nutrients to the tree. That tree may not be impressive, doesn't look majestic, but it's growing, receiving nutrients and growing, and growing on the inside, and growing on the inside, and growing on the inside. He said, compare that with beautiful flowers. I don't care what your favorite flower is. <laughs> and I know all flowers are beautiful. They are pretty. They are easy on the eye. They're colorful. But then, in a short period of time, they are dead, 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 dead. While the oak tree continue to flourish. Look at verses 37 and 38. The faithful is at peace regardless of the circumstances. Verse 38, the transgressors shall be destroyed, just like those pretty flowers. They may look great on the outside, but don't judge by appearance. Verse 39, the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. That means, my beloved friends, it is permanent. It is permanent. Don't ever forget God is not writing your name in the book of life in a pencil. And every time you blow it, He turns it over and erases it. 
And then you repent, he writes it back. No, no. He said, your name is written in the book of life by the blood of Jesus Christ. And nobody can erase it. God does not save you one day and then disown you another, dump you another day. The Lord is their strength in times of trouble. Look at verse 40. And the Lord will deliver them from the wicked and save them. Why? Because they trusted in Him. The Bible said that many are the woes of the righteous, but the Lord delivered them from all. How many? All. Beloved, unfailing trust in the Lord will ultimately bring you vindication. It may take a little longer than you think, but it will bring you vindication. Your unfailing trust in the Lord will honor Him in the long run. God said that He will honor those who honor Him. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.